Hey, I'm Katie with the We Shake Podcast. Welcome to season two. We have a lot in store this season. I'm really excited. Thanks for joining us. And let's get started with the first guest of the year. Her name is Katie Wells. She's also known as the Wellness Mama. She is a mom of six with a background in journalism. She took her own health into her own hands and started researching to find answers for her own health struggles. Her research turned into a blog and a podcast that turned into an amazing community starring you. If Katie was writing this, she would tell you that she's written over 1,500 blog posts, three books, and was named one of the top 100 most influential people in health and wellness, or that she's been called a thought leader for the current generation of moms. When she's not reading medical journals, creating new recipes, or recording podcasts, you can find her somewhere outside in the sun with her six kids or undertaking some DIY remodeling projects that inevitably take twice as long as it was supposed to. So without further introduction, let's jump right in with Katie Wells, The Wellness Mama. I first started following Katie like 10 years ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah, I would always do all of your homemade recipes and all, I mean, like chapsticks and face lotions <laughs> and elderberry gummies. <laughs> and then we met at an event a few years back and we really clicked. And I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to have her on the podcast. So um, welcome. We're excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. And yeah, I was so excited to meet you guys in person and now to have a friendship with you. And Katie, I remember at one of the events, you doing an 11 minute ice bath, having never done an ice bath before. Oh and that man, still sticks in my wasn't mind. that incredible? She went into that like hypothermia amazing. afterwards, but she beat every guy there who had their egos through the roof, well, right? Well, it was funny because- Your face was zen the whole time. You were just <laughs> meditative. Well, I'll tell you the reason why I could do it was because of you. Because you were like, oh, let's get Katie in the ice bath. And you're like, come on, Katie, these guys are going for three minutes. You can kill it and I was like I don't know it's cold and then you were like just do it so I get in and literally the whole time Katie was going you gave birth to children you <laughs> this is way easy compared to labor like she was just in my ear and then I was like okay I could yeah she's right I could just stay in here <laughs> that I was impressed by that too I mean for context for the people listening like there was a bunch of biohacker type people there and they were going in for six seven eight minutes and then you went in for 11 and you don't even you didn't even do ice baths at the time and I was just like whoa I do them now though I yeah, actually yeah, we got true. a cold plunge so thank you for your encouragement yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome to hear yeah um, all right. Well, I, I sent over a list of topics that I'm very interested to talk to you about. You know, in in our space, we've, we've both been in our own way in our in the alternative health space. And I think that um, it, we, we shape has taken a different direction than our previous companies. And I just am so excited to talk with you about some of this content because, first of all, like I'd be talking to you about this even if we met up at an event today. So, um it's just, it's just interesting stuff to kind of cover. So one of the things I wanted to is to kind of cover is like maybe you could share a little bit about your journey. Because like I know you, but for our listeners who, who don't know you, maybe share a little bit about your journey and we'll, we'll start from there. And I'm particularly interested in the last couple years because I know we haven't had a chance to hang out for a little while. And uh, you just look like you're glowing so much more right now. So uh, yeah, anyways, I just wanted to just mention that. So take it away. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'll do the short version of the the early story that started Wellness Mama, and then kind of the more relevant one will be the last couple of years, like you said, Tyler. So, um, you know, you, often in health, I found this with many people in our space, we get into health trying to figure out what's wrong with us. And then when we get better, we want to be able to share that message. And for me, it was very much that way where um, with my first child, that pregnancy sort of launched me into autoimmune disease. 
Um, but in the beginning, I didn't know what it was. I just knew I was having all these crazy symptoms. I was being told by doctors, those things are normal postpartum. Like, don't worry about it. Just try to get more sleep. Um, and it ended up being an eight year long process of finally finding doctors, getting diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is now in remission. Um, but it was just this whole long arc. And I realized how alone I felt in that journey and how there weren't that many resources at the time. And with my background in journalism, I turned a lot to research to figuring out my own answers when I felt like traditional medicine failed me and then wanted to share that, especially with other women and moms, because it seemed like so many people were in a similar situation. And so that was how Wellness Mama began and how the first sort of 10 years went. And even though I was sort of making inroads with my health, um, for a long time, it felt like I wasn't making that much progress. And I now looking back can see all the pitfalls I kind of got sucked into, but it was maybe like a solid decade of sort of deprivation and dieting and hating my body. And it wasn't until I saw my daughter see me look at myself in the mirror and I saw it register in her eyes for the first time that the way I was looking at myself and, and probably occur to her for the first time to be critical of her own body that I was like, no matter what it takes, I have to resolve this. And until that point, even living by the spreadsheets and taking every supplement and seeing every doctor, um, I was seeing marginal improvements in my labs, but I wasn't able to lose weight. My hair was falling out. My sleep wasn't great. Um, and so that was really when the sort of like phase two of my health journey began. Before you jump and into phase two, like, like I know that you put a lot of effort into this. Like, can you give like us and the listeners, like a perspective on like how much effort you were putting in and still not feeling like it was making as much of a difference as you were hoping for. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I think that's a critical point. I'm glad you brought it up because now when I tell the rest of the story, it's, it's a really stark contrast of the effort and the results and what changed. Um, but this was something that from a mental perspective consumed the majority of my mental resources all the time. So looking back, I'm like, I somehow raised babies and built businesses while being consumed with that all the time. And I was so careful with my diet. I had spreadsheets of supplements. Like I said, multiple doctors were overseeing this. Um, it was also my work. So I was spending hours a day working on this, researching in PubMed, looking at the latest data, and then implementing everything I could find. Um, I would put the kids in bed at seven and start working and sometimes work till two and then do the same thing all over again. So this was like very much my life and it was all consuming at that point. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. we know that all too well and that was one of the first questions I had asked. It, the second part to my question, which you just answered, is kind of like the downside of being in alternative health because I for years felt a tremendous amount of pressure to do this diet and eat this thing and do this thing because this is the healthiest way. Until one day I woke up and I was like, this is kind of miserable and I don't really feel available for this anymore. And I remember um, my daughter was in recovery for Lyme disease and we had had our whole family on a gluten-free diet for eight years because that's what the research said was the best thing to do. And I was really just, when I look back now, I can see how that was just one perspective, right? But she came to me one day and I found out that she was like eating gluten at like birthday party. I didn't know she was doing she was sneaking that. Sneaking it, yeah. And she said, mom, I. I feel like I'm in jail and I asked you to get me out of jail and you didn't let me out of jail. So I had to let myself out. And I was like, <laughs> I'm causing psychological damage to my child. <laughs> like this is gone too far. Like no more diets, no more labels. No, we're not doing that anymore. Like I just, I, in one day I said, we're not doing that anymore. And I, when I look back, I'm like, Oh, there was this underlying pressure, which I know you felt 
over like we're in this space so we have to be the example and the leader and we're reading the data and we know what's best. And like the truth is that that's like one perspective. There's an emotional and mental and energetic component that is there too and you can't neglect those parts. Yeah. I was always surprised too when I go to these events and meet lots of people how few of them really seemed like radiantly healthy and happy, right? It seems like there's a lot of neuroses. There's a lot of like, you know, faking it and just like partying and drinking and all this different stuff. And I'm like, well, I thought we were we were supposed to be advocating for health. So, you know, it's an interesting uh, experience to be able to be exposed to a lot of that. So let's jump let's jump into the next section where you go. I'm overwhelmed. I am focusing too much on this. Something needs to change. And what I feel happened? like that must have been right after I saw you at that last event. Because you and I, when we were at that event, we were still in the thick of the like, do you, okay, I'll send you this spreadsheet and you send me this one. And da, 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 you know what I mean? We're still in the thick of that. I remember that. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And yeah. I remember that pressure so well of like, my kids can never touch plastic and no sugar yeah. shall ever enter my house. And how stressful that was. And especially, I'm sure you felt this too, being public facing in the health world, there's the additional pressure of realizing people are Huge. watching, Yeah. which then now looking back, I'm like, that's an even stronger reason to have done the work I've done now and to hopefully model a more balanced view of this. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the two key components there are the amount of personalization and individualization that goes into this that's not talked about enough, I feel like in the health space, which we can come back to. Um, but for me, I, at that point sort of hit that wall and I realized, I believe it was Einstein who said, we can't solve a problem from the same level of consciousness we created it at. Mm. And I was doing the same things over and over, but not making the internal changes. And so I finally had to like stare that in the face and realize these things that I'm doing are obviously not effective. So why are they not effective? Mm. And the part I had been trying to ignore for a long time was that inner side, the mental and emotional component that I also feel like is not talked about enough in health. And I minimized that for years because I'm very type A and I was like, I can willpower my way through this. I can spreadsheet my way through this. I don't have to face those emotions. I will just power through this and I'll deal with that later. And de dealing with that was the pivotal thing. And, and now looking back, it's easy to see oh, well, of course I wasn't resting and digesting and my hormones were out of whack. I was in sympathetic nervous system dominance for 10 years straight because of past trauma. And I was just ignoring it and using that to be my edge to compulsively work, which was just a coping mechanism. Yeah. And so I started looking at that side for the first time ever. And it became a process of kind of like an undoing and a cracking the shell that had kept me safe for so long. And I did somatic therapies. I did other types of talk therapies. I kind of threw everything at the wall. Um, after that interaction with my daughter, where I was like, I this I don't want to pass this on to her. I don't want this to be what I model for her and my other three daughters. This like self-loathing, overly restrictive cage. Um, so what is the alternative? And that began a sort of a two-year journey where, ironically, I learned to actually eat more because I had been under eating for so many years. My metabolism was suffering. Um, and so now I'm eating more than double what I was eating then. And I'm a lot leaner than I was then, which I know like from the fitness side, you guys are like, well, yeah, obviously. But I, that was so like mind blowing to me when I first discovered but, that. But, and I, but like, I think this is important. Like this is really important. Like I've had, uh, you know, when we used to have a group training program. I had, a, everybody would come on low calorie diets that was really trying to be disciplined and diligent. And every single one of them that I was like, hey, you should probably like add like a thousand calories a day to your diet. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm going to like explode and everything's gonna happen. And every single one of them who actually did it was like, I feel better. 
I have more energy. I'm actually like improving my body composition at the same time. And it was because they could just relax a little bit and their body could actually not be in that fight or flight state consistently. I got to take it a step further. I'm sorry. What? But like, why don't we just rewind even further to say that who said that this body looks like this and this, but like, it's like, it's mind blowing to me that we all just kind of wake up and go, this is the goal. But like, why is that the goal? Like, that's not how human bodies work. It's like, we could value any type of body. We just happen to value this particular type of body. And so then we all try to get that. And to me, that's the big problem, right? Is like having the value system placed on a specific body type because we think that that will bring us uh, fulfillment and worth and, and happiness. And the reality is, is like, that's what I'm trying to get people to address, especially when they come in and buy our product. I'm like, yeah, buy our product so you can move better in your body, but do not come here for weight loss. If you think that losing weight will make you feel good about yourself emotionally, <laughs> it's a trap. Yeah. It's yeah. a trap. You're never what be really feels good, what really makes you feel good and feels worthy is doing all of that work that you're talking about deconstructing those constructs and value systems and forming a value system that actually is meaningful and impactful for you. And that might not adhere to the rest of society and that's okay. So I just have to like say that because it really bothers me that I feel like, you know, you just, I understand we all just kind of wake up and like do things that we're taught to do. And one of those things, especially as women, is be this number on the scale, be that body type. And we don't ever question, like, do I want that? Do I like that? Do I feel good? Who made up that rule? Like, we just kind of do it, and we give all of ourselves to it. And it, and I think it's, I just think it's a trap. <laughs> I think people should eat when they're hungry and listen to their bodies yeah. and allow themselves to enjoy food. Like, we have totally taken the experience out of enjoying food. We have made it this huge, critical, judgmental thing that has like ruined food for so many people so anyway i'm just gonna say that really quick because i'm like i love food i've always <laughs> loved food uh. but anyway well, keep yeah i realized in this too i think in general on average guys have so much healthier languaging around this around food around mm-hmm. body image because when i started actually falling in love with fitness for fitness sake and for what my body could do right i realized guys have language like you don't lose weight you guys get leaner or you like it's more po- focused on the positive whereas like psychologically our brains don't want to lose anything so for women who are like so focused on trying to lose weight we're going to be fighting our psyche right. that whole time just psychologically even with just the words that we use and, and katie to your point i think that's key as well i realized for me and i think for a lot of people we have a story in our head that goes something along the lines of i will be happy when xyz mm. Mm. and spoiler alert you're not going to be happy when those things happen oh big spoiler but, alert <laughs> well i realized because mine was oh i would be happy if only i was this size i would be happy if i looked like this and one of my sort of paradigm shifting moments was realizing i can choose to be happy now mm. during that process and i can choose to be happy now even if nothing else ever changes and when I was actually able to internalize that switch, ironically, I didn't care about the aesthetic side as much, nearly as much anymore. And it became literally effortless to eat. I lost 80 pounds. I was eating more food and fitness got fun, but I wasn't fighting myself anymore. It and especially of- for women, I feel like we are the most, like fighting yourself is going to be the most powerful enemy you ever face. Mm. Because the messages are just constant, right? And so it's like, I had a friend call me yesterday and she was talking about this person and I said, listen, I understand that person's an expert, but the real expert of you 
who creates the value systems is you. So it's okay if you say what that expert told me doesn't fit for me. You can say that. You can feel that. You can do that. And that's okay. I think women just want to like, we're so afraid of making mistakes. Um, Historically, we have been held in a position where looks meant our worth, right? And it's like, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. We actually can pause and break those cycles. And I do think that having uh, kids, especially little girls, does make you kind of, oh my gosh, like I better... I better really get a hold of this because I'm going to be passing these down. Whether I say a word about it or not, I don't have to. They see exactly what's going on. And so, yeah, tell me more about that. But, but, sorry, I just kind of want to interrupt. More than that, I think it's like when we judge ourselves, right, we are constantly in a focus point of change, like you said. I, I will be happy when, right? And if we're constantly there, then we're always looking for something outside of ourselves to make ourselves feel good whether that's success, fame, money, body image, sex, drugs, whatever the hell it is, right? And I've said this before on the show a bunch of times, I have tried a lot of those and they don't make you, <laughs> they don't make you any happier. And the real key is just coming to that place of recognizing that it's about learning how to love yourself. It's about learning how to take care of yourself, not judge yourself. And um, I think that's just so important. You really nailed that message. Like stop saying, I'll be happy when, and say, I'm going to be happy now if you don't practice that now it's never going to show up because it's hard work right and you have to do it at some point so sorry maybe you could share with us how how that kind of shook out for you well it was definitely a process and it wasn't unfortunately an overnight switch that just became effortless once i realized that and decided to do it but at least the awareness of it i started paying attention to my inner language a lot and i think of all the things we read and see and people we talk to the most important is the language we say to ourselves. Mm. And so I started becoming aware and shifting the things I was saying internally um, because even the questions we ask ourselves, I realized if we give our subconscious questions like, why can't I lose weight? Why is this so hard? It will answer them earnestly like, oh, well, obviously because you've had six kids and you have thyroid disease. And and if we shift into the, the positive side of that and ask our subconscious better questions, our subconscious gets to work on better questions, even while we're sleeping, even while we're doing other things. Mm. So I became very aware of my inner dialogue. You could um, manifest also, a different outcome, right? Because you're actually, your your brain is operating constantly to achieve what it is that you're thinking about most of the time. Exactly. And I think it's also, to your point, sort of deconstructing those statements um, because like we talked about, not only is it false that you'll be happy when those things happen, um, but you're... So instead of working towards those things, thinking for happiness, if we then shift and work on happiness, or I would say I would even put peace or joy above happiness, Mm. um, which, you know, I always this time of year reread Viktor Frankl's work, Mm. Man's Search for Meaning, and he talks so much about this, of when everything else is taken from us, we still have the ability to choose our own response, (laughs) our own emotions. And that's like during my fast in the beginning of the year, I always reread that book because it really recenters me. On that idea. One of my favorite books of all time, Katie has heard me quote Viktor Frankl ad nauseum because I think it's so important <laughs> to recognize that like what happens to you doesn't affect your, your experience of the world. What you choose your experience of the world based on what happens to you is what really affects your experience of the world. And that's such a big difference for people to realize. When something happens, you can pause and create some space and say, what do I want to do with this? And that's the freedom. One of my favorite things to do is to think about people that I've met in my life who have really well practiced that concept and then go not as a form of comparison, but as a form of um, showing my brain the possibility Hmm, I wonder what would happen if that person got put in this situation that mm. I'm perceiving this way. 
And then I go, it's again, it's not a point of comparison or judgment, but it's a point of, ooh, there's a choice. Yeah, change like the that, perspective. There's a possibility, right? There, it's possible. So I want to I backtrack a smidge. So what were the things that you noticed yourself saying to yourself? I just, I think with the listeners, I always want to give them something where they're sitting there going, oh, she said, and then they're going to they're gonna recognize it like a week from now and go, oh, that's what they were talking about, right? So do you have anything in particular that you had to face that was really prevalent? Yeah, it was a whole loop of inner dialogue that went along the lines of like, why is this so hard? Why is this impossible to lose weight? And then also to the, like the self-loathing things of like, oh, I hate the way I look. And, and I knew my kids were perceiving that as well. Um, and it's a little bit of a tangent, Katie, but I think since we also have talked about our kids a little bit, I think that the Viktor Frankl mentality of shifting our mindset is also really valuable to talk to our kids about when they're young, because kids will say things like, well, I did that because she made me mad. And it's a great time to be like, let's deconstruct that. Yes, this thing happened. You also then experienced this emotion of anger and chose to do this action. Mm, yeah. so let's separate those things because we're connecting them and they're not actually connected. Um, and I think it just speaks to that choice that we have. And I think the, the most powerful place we have that is internally. Yeah. And it's, it speaks it's about, to that victim mentality that we were talking about earlier. Totally. Because it's, if, it's react or respond, yeah, right? Yeah. What are you doing? Are you just are you just reacting out of all these loops that you have in your brain from what you've learned over the years? Or are you pausing and you're saying, here's who I want to be. Here's how I want to show up in this situation right now. And that's a choice. And people don't think it is, you know? And if you don't think it is, you're a victim. And if you're a victim, and if you really believe, I just heard this the other day um, from Adi Ashanti. It was like, if, if you're genuinely... If you genuinely believe that the cause of your suffering is from someone else, you have no power. Exactly. You have absolutely no power. And like, what are you going to do with that? Nothing. So even if, it, even if you do believe that now, just try believing something else so that you at least have some power to change it, you know? Yeah. I, I really think that one of the worst human conditions is being a victim of something. Because you can't, you're, you can't do anything in that space. Like you, you, it's like I always think about like you're energetically stuck there until you have a shift where you go, actually the world's happening for me and all of this perception is my responsibility, now you can get unstuck. But we'll, we'll be forever stuck if we think that things happen to us. And um, it's an unfortunate truth, but I think that the more we can just surrender to that idea and that concept, the less stuck that people will be. Yeah, so okay, so you've, you've got this negative self-talk that you notice and this judgment of yourself. And you, I love what you mentioned was you saw your daughter see you looking at yourself. I don't even know if you were saying anything, but it's so powerful. There's so much that's perceived beyond what we think, like in terms of words and stuff. And you just knew it. You were like, oh, crap. She sees what I'm doing here, even if you're not saying anything. It's just that look, right? So what did you? What were the tools you started to do? Like, how did you start building those new phrases and those new patterns and repatterning that self-talk? And maybe even if you feel up for it, how did you uncover the things that were the root of that self-talk and heal those? Yeah. So at the time, my daughter was almost 13. And I remember how I felt as an almost 13-year-old and how critical of my body I was. And I also realized like she's an athlete, she's a competitive pole vaulter. She was number two in the country last year for her age. To her, her body is this amazing tool that can do amazing things. And so I really do think that was the first time it occurred to her that people are critical of their bodies, which is why I was like, no matter what, I have to conquer the mindset of this. And I think that alone, that was much more of a paradigm shifting moment than I realized until later, because it was the first time I separated the physicality of what I was trying to do from the mindset and the mindset became more important because that was the part I was so worried about passing on to her. And so when I say I threw everything at the wall, I tried everything. And this is an area where I think 
there is so much personalization. So I, I often tell people the things I tried with the caveat that these may be great starting points or foundational things. But I think especially when you're talking about the inner journey and doing emotional work, it's also going to be very individual and you're going to have to find the things that specifically work for you. Um, I did talk therapies. I did um, somatic therapies. I did guided psychedelic therapies. I literally threw everything at the wall. Um, and ironically, the somatic ones without any substances were some of the first most powerful ones because my body had become my shield. And so anything I was doing that was addre addressing the trauma within the body was really, um, it was really hard at first. And I remember the first time it was just a somatic therapy where I was in a situation that felt out of control. And I realized the root of my trauma was a pretty serious assault situation where I was actually out of control. And it was the first time I had let myself feel out of control since that moment, because I vowed I will never mm. be helpless again. Mm. And so I had to stare that emotion in the face. And I also realized I had not, since that moment, I had not cried. I had not expressed, I had never yelled at my kids. And over 10 years of having kids, I had never, not once yelled. Like I had locked down emotion and mm. I was really good at it. And that was the first time I let emotion come through again. Mm. Um, and literally after that experience, I shook for three or four hours, like how you would see an animal that yeah. almost got killed in nature. And then like that adrenaline shake, it happened for hours after. Um, and that was also really cemented for me, like, oh, not only is the inner emotional side important, it could be the most important part. Um, and ironically, when I shifted to focusing on that side, the next day I had lost like almost eight pounds, which is not technically possible, except for it was probably stress weight. And like literally the, the idea of the body keeps the score, like that was stuff I had held locked down in my body for so long. Um, and I shifted my focus from trying to like punish myself into being thinner or smaller into like really nourishing myself and working with therapists to repattern my relationship, my inner voice, but also my relationship with food, my relationship with lifestyle. And like Katie, we talked about earlier, not being so obsessive about everything and actually learning to sort of listen to my body again, or even feel my body again. Mm. Um, and around that time, I read a quote that I had written on my bathroom mirror for a long time that said, I said to my body, I want to be your friend. And it responded, I've been waiting your whole life for this. Oh. I feel like that was sort of that phase of that journey for me was like learning how to actually be connected to my body again. How, how much of our lives do we spend upset about the one thing that we live in, right? It's so crazy to me. We, we look at it and instead of having appreciation for what it can do or what it's done for us, we just have it wrapped in judgment like crazy. Well, it's funny. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to release an episode um, with a woman who does, uh, she's a part of the network spinal analysis group. And so there's a lot of, uh, it's, it's similar, I think, similar family, like the somatic work, like really working through. And Nina, she had gone to her and told her, um, yeah, I guess one of the things I'd really like to address is that, you know, I, I really kind of like have a, a really readily accessible um, accessibility to my emotions. And sometimes I feel like that's overwhelming for people. And so I'd really like to kind of learn how to kind of tame those emotions. And she looked at her and said, I will absolutely not be doing that for you. Oh, my like, God. That's, that's the, exactly the opposite of what I'm trying, trying to, to do. Open everybody up. She goes, I'm trying to get people where you are. I'm actually not trying to shut your emotions down because in our society, especially as a woman if you're like too emotional they're crazy right it's like the all the I'm gonna, negative I'm going to challenge that because I'm going to challenge one thing about it I think that yes if you're a woman and you're too emotional crazy but I think emotions are more accepted for women than they are for men and I only say I that because I grew up in a world as where... long as you don't have too many <laughs> <laughs> right I, so like all the messages yeah. that we don't we're not even aware of especially for for men I I 
um, anytime I know someone who's pregnant with a little boy, I'm like, ooh, you have a big job ahead of you. Mm. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Look at the society that we're in and the culture that we're raising young men in. You have a big job. It's it's but it's so prevalent, right? Like I remember when we were on a beach uh, when we were on a trip a little while back, and this this guy was talking to his sons, and his one of them fell down and was crying, and he was like, "Come on, quit whining. We don't cry. Boys don't cry." And I was just like, Tyler was holding me back. I was physically. just yeah, I was yeah. holding myself back. But like I mean, the, this happens, and even like we live in a very progressive area of the United States, and um, you know we have a friend whose whose dad is very much like this. And he came over to the house, and his mom said, you know, hey, they don't live together anymore. They're not married anymore. But he said his dad um, said that uh, uh, crying's for wusses. And what do you think about that, Tyler? I said, well, what do you think about that? And he's like, well, it just doesn't really sit right with me. And I was like, I cry all the time. Do I look like a wuss? And he was like, you know, and I was like, there's so much need, I think, for a lot of mentorship in the emotions. Like, help. What could you say to people to help them um, allow themselves to feel that? Because when we don't feel those feelings, they get stuck inside our bodies, like you've alluded to. And that can manifest as illness, uh, lack of mobility, aches, pains, et cetera. And I think the scariest part is taking that first step, right? And just like finding that out. So how did you, how did you overcome that? Um, the books that really helped me on that journey were The Body Keeps the Score, which talks about the physical connection, because often our body can be a clue as to maybe what's going on emotionally. It's like we know that our um, mindset can affect our body, but our body can also inform us of our mindset as well, especially if we're not in touch with those emotions. So that was really helpful for me in starting to pay more attention to my body and what the things I was feeling might be pointing toward emotionally. Um, and then also a book a little bit different, but called It Didn't Start With You. Mm. Um, by Mark Wolin, which is about generational trauma. It's a really good book. Um, but he has a lot of questions and they're related to the generational side, but that I found helpful on just the personal side as well, that really walk you through the inner process of emotions and help you sort of figure out where they might stem from. And it seems like for many of us, we'll find sort of an inner child that got stuck at a certain age. And this was definitely the case for me. And so I had to learn how to like talk to and reintegrate my inner child that was stuck at that age where that thing happened and let that inner child grow up and integrate with my current self. Um, but there was like sort of that reconciling there. And I've seen this now that I'm aware of it in so many friends that, and they're, they become aware of like what age their inner child is. And certainly like there are therapists who are very trained to help with that specific thing. But for me, um, I've always been a reader. So the reading was the sort of first helpful thing that really helped me pinpoint those. And I just want to say something, right? I've been on a heck of a journey the last handful of years myself. And, um, you know, I love that book, um, uh, It Didn't Start With You. And one of the things I love about it is how he really encourages us to, to discover this core phrase that we're living by. And it's usually a core phrase rooted in trauma. And when we understand that core phrase and we start to notice how much of our actions come from that place, we start to realize how much we're reacting, like we said, rather than responding. And if we want to change that pattern, it just takes a lot and a lot and a lot of repetitions of awareness and change and awareness and change until it becomes a little bit of a second nature. Um, but you know, for myself, when I went through that book, I was also doing a lot of different therapies as well. And the core phrase I came up with is if I don't get my needs met, I'll die. And it came from, uh, an awareness of, um, some wounding as a, as a very, very early child. Right. Um, and that came through some psychedelic assisted therapy was remembering my mom, uh, putting me in a crib and walking out. 
and just letting me cry it out all night long. And what was really interesting about that was I was doing the same thing with my daughter at that exact time. And I'll never against forget. Against my will. Against Katie's will. I was like, <laughs> we can't do this. We're going to sleep train and blah, blah, blah. And I swear, I came back from a session and I was like, I'm sorry. I fucked that up. I'm not going to do that anymore. And it's completely changed it. So now I get to snuggle with the little one every single night to try and make sure she feels comfortable and yeah, connected. Yeah, so she did sleep independently <laughs> for years. And then when she started kindergarten, she went through a big transition and she wanted to co-sleep again. And I said, your dad's available for that now. <laughs> so it's he right. sleeps in a room with her and I sleep in a room yeah. with the other one. Um, but yeah, I think this is all really important. And another thing that I try to remind myself, because I think we can all relate to this experience of, oh my God, I tried this thing and it made such an impact and everyone should do it. There's also this this idea that like timing is is, is not mine to control. So important. Right? And so it's like, every, I just like to remind people that like giving yourself grace and, and you know, what worked for Katie or for you or for myself might not work for you. And just, and just allowing, I think the first step is like curiosity, right? Like such a big one. What yeah. serves me in my life? What's not serving me? Why is it not serving me? Kind of this, like this, this more open fluid expansion that's coming from a place of curiosity rather than rigidity, right? Because I'm sure you and I can relate both being very type A and in the space that we were, I mean, we, the Excel spreadsheets with the supplements are just such a great example of that, um, is that rigidity and that definitive knowing um, does not create a space of curiosity. And so I have to remind myself that even when I take steps that feel like they even better serve me than when they did before, I still have to have that openness because, and my favorite word lately is maybe, because um, even though I'm feeling better than I have when I was in my regimented dieting spreadsheet, da, 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 there still could be things that I don't understand, right? So it's this, I think that that is really the true first step yeah. is, is, is the openness and the willing to let the walls come down just a little bit for something else to come in and whatever that might be. I personally believe that when you start there, the universe will take care of the rest and it'll show you exactly what you're supposed to do. But it has to start with that sort of softening and lack and, and, and less rigidity with a little bit of curiosity. That's a big one because I feel like you mentioned something big, Katie. You said, this is my journey and everybody's got to have their own journey. And one of the things that I often see is people get this paralysis analysis or they make a lot of excuses as to why they're not doing anything because there's too much out there, there's too much this, there's too much that. And I just have a personality type where it's like, I'm just gonna do something and if it works, I'm gonna keep doing it and if it doesn't work, I'm gonna stop doing it. But it's very few people are willing to just go try something, even if it makes them feel uncomfortable and see what happens, you know? So how do you, how do you, like, how do you encourage people to take that first step, I guess? Yeah, well, I think you said it perfectly, but it actually speaks to something that's become a habit of mine for the new year, um, which is I set, I don't do resolutions and goals. I do like challenges and experiments. And I love doing like mini monthly challenges mm. because it's a short amount of time. I get to try something new and I'll try to even pick a couple for the year that are wildly out of my comfort zone on purpose, because I do think that the mentality of getting out of our comfort zone, even in an area that's actually low risk and no danger, despite what my nervous system may think of it, like dancing or voice lessons or whatever it may be. Um, it helps us to grow in other areas as well. And Love so I think that. if, especially if you have like a lot of pain around one particular area of your life, maybe try to get out of your comfort zone in an unrelated area. 
and that the mentality of that can sort of like help transfer. And Katie, to your point, I love that I about curiosity. In our house, we use the words, I wonder so often because I try to always bring the kids back to curiosity and kids come out of the box asking why, which I think is wonderful. And if we don't squash that, they keep doing it their whole lives. Um, but a book that helped me with that side and like sort of letting go of that type A rigidity um, is called Letting Go, The Pathway to Surrender, which is not de definitely not a health book, but it really helped me sort of like pay attention to my sort of inner state and my emotions and what was happening and let go of the ones that weren't serving me. I love that. Yeah, I mean, with the new year here, uh, you know, the our email team and our ad team, they've all been like, what are we going to write? I'm like, to tell people not to have New Year's resolutions. <laughs> and they're like, people are like, wait, what? You're not going to? Yeah, hold on. I want to be super clear here. <laughs> We're, we, we found some, like, uh, really great, uh, you know, words that are resonating with people. Like, bail on your scale. Right. It's just a beautiful way to just say something very, very succinct about what we what we believe people should do. And I think everybody's had that experience of stepping on their scale, looking down a number and feeling crappy about themselves. And so I think that's really easy for people to connect to that and be like, how many times am I going to do this before I have to change it? Right. I'm not going to. What, what do they say? Uh, do the same thing and expect a different result is insanity. Right. So um, Katie's shooting some videos the other day and she was like, oh, like bail on your scale. And, and then she's like, can I swear? And we're like. Yeah, I think you can swear. Go for it. And she's like, fuck the scale. Boom. She throws it to the side. You know, I'm like, oh, what a beautiful thing to be able to use that passion because I feel like I feel like more people need to hear that. Like, don't do resolutions. Don't say I want to change how much weight I'm going to lose. Hey, just try shit. Try some experiments like you're saying. So, sorry. I, cut I mean, you off I, there, but. I think it's more about I, I do think it is that I think I think people are finally ready to hear Fuck the uh, scale. Yeah, they're they're ready for it. I think <laughs> I think it's an insane instrument that really doesn't do anything for anybody. Like I, I just I, I think it's absolutely wild that we step on that and it gives us a number and then we our worth is defined. I'm just like, we're not doing that. And I think that there can be some when people are like, I don't even know what to do then I'm like, Okay, we'll just learn how to move in your body. Like it that be curious about what your body can offer you and how you can move. And that's like the whole premise of our company, of our product is just learn how to move and connect with yourself and stop worrying about the diets and the weight and the this and the that because they're psychologically damaging you and and that's what's actually preventing you from feeling good, right? So, it, and it, I've said this story a hundred times on the podcast, but it always goes back to, back to, I don't know how many years ago that was, like 12 years ago, we were doing boot camps my dad was uh, started to, to gain a relationship with, with movement and with working out. And he did, as a byproduct, lose weight. And people would always comment on that, which I think is a different problem. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, he said, it's really not about that for me. I've never felt this way before. And I feel so good. And that's the fuel that keeps me going, right? So I, I do think that there can be so much to be said about just being curious and then trying to develop that mind-body connection and learning how to appreciate what your body can do. It's such a different perspective and it's pretty opposite to what we've all been told. But I think that I like your idea of like, I'm gonna do some challenges throughout the year, not as a means to look a certain way, but as a means to experience life and connect with myself in a different way that I have before. And I think that will take people so much further than I wanna be a pants size six. Like I just, I just can't, e I feel like exhausted from even hearing it anymore. You know what I mean? Every time on the podcast, I'm telling people unfollow social media, people on social media who preach this. Like don't hang out with people who tell you have to look a certain way. Like, like we just, it's, it's time. I think we're, I think our society's ready for the shift. What do you think I about agree. that? So, yeah, <laughs> and we look at the stats, only 16% of people keep their resolutions in 
some form on the long term. And I would guess it's probably actually lower than that, depending on what your definition of long term is. But psychologically, we're just not wired to set a goal that's a big goal and then try to commit to that for a whole year. And willpower can get us a little bit of the way there. But I would guess most people listening have had an experience where the willpower worked for a while and then it didn't. And then they rebounded because when you're fighting yourself internally or you're fighting your hormones, women know hormones will eventually win if you're not taking care of them. And I think that whole culture around that, we just set these unrealistic long-term goals instead of shooting for shorter benchmarks and challenges and experiments that feel fun. And I think, like you said, if you can learn to move in, a, in your body in a way that feels fun and it maybe feels like play, like how a childhood was, you're much more likely to want to stick with it. Um, and I, I think you're right. I hope we're at this point where this is starting to shift. It seems like it from all the women I hear from that we're starting to stop caring about the scale. And I've told my audience before, I don't care about the number on the scale. I care about the number I can lift off the ground. Like yeah. if I want a benchmark to focus on, that's the one I'm going to focus on because that feels like play to me right now. Yeah. Absolutely. And can, can I ask the, a the progression? With, Sorry, go ahead. The progression with my daughter. So I was able to shift my mindset, but I, in losing 80 pounds really quickly, I realized I had also like was getting excited because I was so small. And then I had to pay attention to my language about that mm. because I realized all the psychology about being small and taking up less space in the world was also not what I wanted to model for her. Oh, so and at one point she was trying to wear like teeny tiny shoes and she was like acting very small and it was stumping me for a while. Like, why is she doing that? And then I realized, oh, because I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. And so then my focus became, how can I move in a way that's really fun? How can I get stronger? Like, how can I shift my mindset so that that's at least the energy that exists in my house? And that's been the most fun year of fitness I've ever had in my whole life. I love how you said that. And that teased me up for the question I was going to ask you already. So, like, I've been I hate the word like fitness, you know, nut or whatever, because it sounds so much like my goal is to, like, pump my muscles and do cardio until I shape my body in a certain way. And I was super fortunate to have gotten hit by a car when I was younger and then come into a gym and realize that none of these things made my body feel good. And I had to learn how to actually move well. And that led me on a journey of learning from a lot of people who were very smart. And one of the most beautiful parts about that is when you focus on enjoying the experience of what your body can do and slowly building your body's capacity and strength, flexibility, balance, coordination, confidence, et cetera, um, it, it, it just naturally becomes the best version of itself. And you don't have to think about it that way. And so most people's idea of fitness is cardio, breathing heavy and sweating, and pumping muscles. And I think it's the worst way to look at fitness on the planet. And I've noticed a big shift in you and your, your, your um, uh, you know, strategy over the years. So tell us a little bit about that. How did you go from you know, whatever you were doing before to enjoying it and actually really appreciating what your body can do? Yeah, well, thankfully, my kids were great models in that. And I do think there's so much we can learn from our kids, but it was two prong. It was the inner shift of going from the restriction dieting culture to trying to like, how can I most nourish my body with every single thing I put in my mouth and realizing I was so focused on trying to lose weight that I had been drastically under eating for a decade. And so I had to sort of retrain my body how to have an appropriate response to food. And even now I would say eating enough so that I actually recover, which I can feel now and pay attention to is one of the hardest parts of this is actually like the working out is really fun. The eating enough to recover is still I'm learning. Um, it's but hard it's also to eat enough protein and stuff like that to get a full recovery from your workouts. It's hard. It is. It is. And carbs. I avoided those for a decade. I'm having to learn how to eat carbs again. But I know I can pay attention now when I do it. I feel so much better that it's a good positive reinforcement to do that. Um, but I think 
for me, the shift was like in the positive sense on both of those, but also realizing as a mom and any other moms listening can relate, we're very busy. I didn't, I don't have two hours a day to spend in the gym. And I also hate just long, boring cardio. Going for a long jog is in my mind, like torture. I don't want to do that. So I started getting curious and saying, okay, well, first of all, what things are most effective? What are my actual targets that I'm trying to hit with this? My goal is not just to go walk on a treadmill for the sake of walking on a treadmill. So what am I actually trying to accomplish? And looking at the data and realizing lean muscle mass is one of the things that correlates most strongly with longevity Mm -hmm. across like one of the strongest correlations we have. So then what things most effectively increase lean muscle mass? And the beauty of that is it's resistance training, strength training, and I add sprinting in for fun. Those things don't even take as long. And they're fun. And I'm like getting to see progressive improvement in those, which feels like a game because I feel like I can like beat the game and move on to the next level. Um, and it's way more effective than when I was spending all that time trying to do cardio that was ineffective, that was also putting me back in sympathetic nervous system because I was already stressed. Oh, God, that's, um, that's such a big point, too. People don't realize when you just do this long grind, your body's in this like stress mode. It's like, what is what are they doing to me? And it has all these negative reactions that can, you know, cause like compensatory eating reactions that you don't expect, um, you know, even even lack of bone density. People don't realize that when you're doing whenever you're moving your body, you're sending you're sending signals to adapt however you want it to move. And so when they look at like long distance marathon runners, they go like, wow, your bone density is actually lower than we'd expect. It's almost like the same thing as a hiker where they drill holes with the toothbrush to save weight. So your bones are less dense, so you're lighter, so you can go longer, right? So at the end of the day, like I think the adaptations that happen from our fitness need to be the way we approach movement rather than like, uh, you know, how much, how much, how difficult does this feel or how much am I sweating or how many calories am I burning? That's the one that makes me want to just, just, yeah. Anyways. I mean, it's funny because <laughs> in the past, I've always hated exercise. I'm just going to say it. It was like pun- it was a form of punishment. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, you ate that thing yesterday, so you better get on the, the elliptical machine. Right. That that was sort of my relationship with fitness. And um, the funny thing is I've been working out with someone for the last couple of years now, and he never pushes me to where I thought I was supposed to go. Right. Like anytime I had done a program in the past, I'd be like, oh, well, if I'm not almost throwing up, then I didn't get a good workout. And the irony is I've never felt stronger and I've never felt almost like more flexible and like I just feel better in my body and he's never even getting me close to that. It's he's just slow micro progressions and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this because I'm not going in the torture chamber and I'm not using this as a form of punishment. I'm going to work out with him to say, oh my gosh, like I'm so excited to move my body today and I don't have to worry about he's going to load the bar too much or I'm going to have to do all these things that are going to make me feel like I'm going to throw it. I just get to enjoy the experience. And I think that, again, we're all, I think we're constantly coming back to this, this emotional cognitive shift in the way that we're perceiving what we've been told. And I think it's absolutely okay to question the things that we've been told and say, does that work for me? I was told I needed to do an hour of cardio a day. Does that work for me? Do I actually feel good when I do that? And then again, when if the answer is no, shift to curiosity, right? Like what is something that I could enjoy? It doesn't have to be what you were told, right? We can question that and do it a different way. And so I really appreciate the idea around we can connect with with, with working out and exercise and fitness in a way that is actually enjoyable. That's possible. Exercise, people are always fascinated when I'm like, you know, exercise isn't punishment, right? They're like, wait, what? But I ate that thing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That, that's like psychologically so messed up. 
How do women overcome this? Like, you know, I just having been a trainer a long time ago, that was just such a common thing. It was like you, you, once you could convince somebody to start doing some strength training, the next thing that happens is their muscles get sore and they relate that to being bulky and then they abandon ship and want to go do cardio again. So like, how, how do you, how I, do you, I mean, for I mean me, you guys have done good testimony, so I appreciate that. I, I think women need to hear that. I feel but. like for me, I literally just had to stop and say, when I really sit with this methodology, does it really bring me fulfillment? And the answer was, hell no, it does not. Mm. And so I had to be willing to say, people are going to tell me this and society's going to hold this expectation for me, but I know the end result. And so if I want a different result, I'm going to have to be okay to stand up to that and say no. So that's how it was for me. I just had to like deeply sit with, does this actually serve me to be obsessive, to be restrictive, to try to reach a body type. I, I actually wrote an email about this the other day. There was one time where I actually met a number on a scale that I felt like society would have been really excited about. Like my like <laughs> 90s heroin chic cognitive state of mind was really excited about it. <laughs> and it was after I had broken up with an old boyfriend and I was on a puddle on the floor and I starving yourself and, and I was jogging all day. I, no, it wasn't even that. It was that I was just so like stressed. And um, anyway, I remember thinking the number is getting to where I want it to go. But I had never been more miserable in my entire life. <laughs> I was like, this is a huge wake up call that this has nothing to do with that. And I just remember thinking, like, everyone would be like, oh, my gosh, like, you're finally making it. And I'm like, but I was absolutely miserable. And so I think it really does just start with recognizing and asking yourself, am I doing this because it actually truly brings me joy and fulfillment and satisfaction? Or am I doing this because this is what I was trained to do? And when I sit with it, it actually doesn't serve me. And then from there go, I'm going to get curious about another way. Yeah, that's good. And you well, sound and like you I, went to the statistics a little bit and discovered that, wait, lean muscle mass means growing older. Strength means staying healthy as you grow older, you know? Well, and I definitely had that story of like, I don't want to get bulky. And I still battled that early on because mm. I was like afraid. And now it's laughable. But I was afraid I was going to like wake up and look like a bodybuilder. And now working this much for fun and loving it, I'm like, that's laughable to think that I thought I was going to get bulky from accidentally lifting weights because I right. know how hard I'm working now yeah. and I'm not getting bulky. And I'm, now I'm annoyed. I'm like, why can't I get my muscles stronger faster? Um, but I think women got the short end of the stick on this. I I don't even know where this idea came from that if we don't just do like cardio and Pilates and light weights, we're going to get bulky. But at least for me, the opposite has been true. Like I've been getting leaner, the stronger I get. And if it's encouraging to any women, like I can, I'm lifts now that are over 400 pounds and I am not in any way bulky. Like if anything, I wish I looked stronger. So it's not a thing that we're going to accidentally like slip and fall and get bulky. It doesn't work. I think, I think there's a disconnect. I think the disconnect is literally when we feel like our muscles are sore and they're pumped up, it makes us feel like our body's bigger. And then we relate that to bulking and we relate that to, you know, somebody who's been training for 25 years and probably shoots up a little testosterone and goes, oh, I'm going to be like that if I keep doing that. They don't realize how difficult it is to actually gain lean muscle mass, strength, and 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 do you have to do it so consistent for so long. But I think even before that, we have to go into any journey that we're going to go into, especially as with our body, to say, if I'm enjoying this and I'm experiencing fulfillment from this... I'm also going to accept whatever my body decides to look like as a result of that, right? right? Because 
so what? Like who? Like it, it's like I, I start to get really triggered by all of the expectations on women. Oh, you can be thin, but you can't be too thin. Oh, you, you can get muscle, but you can't have too much muscle. You can do. It's like, oh my god, I just don't even. I'm just like literally removing myself from that because I just I can't even. And I, and I don't actually want to participate in being in that for other women either. I'm like, okay, yeah, we're afraid of getting bulky, but why? Yeah. Like, let's say that that was a result. It's like there also has to be a part in the journey where self-acceptance and appreciation for the body that you're in today yeah. is exactly what it's supposed it's, it's exactly where it's supposed to be. And how do we know that? Because that's where it is. And so this idea of like, well, let me make sure I do this, but not too much or this, but not too that. It's like I just want to give women to permission to just say, do what feels good for you, what really, truly feels good for you, and don't worry about what other people say or think. And I know that that's really, really easier said than done, but I think if we start talking about it and offering each other permission, I think that women are very powerful beings on this planet, and I think if we can collectively come together and offer one another that type of permission, a lot of things can shift. I also want to point out that the weight loss industry in 2022 was worth $3.2 billion dollars. So if there's that kind of money to be made on buy this and lose weight, of course that story is not going to change, right? And that's so, a part of a, a that's a tiny segment of a much bigger industry, by the way. I mean, I think we're talking, talking hundreds of billions of I'm dollars. I'm talking specific weight and, loss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my point is that I think that in addition to that curiosity, self acceptance and appreciation for the body that you have and the body that will come, um, as long as you're feeling good about what you're doing then um, the result of what that looks like shouldn't matter as much. It sounds like celebrating movement and letting how you look be a, a backseat to that. It sounds like a really good approach for most people, right? Just, hey, what yeah. can I do with my body? And let me appreciate that and celebrate it and expand it if I can. And then let what, what is be, right? And the more of us who come together and redefine the value, the less that the old value system will serve anybody anymore. So it does take one person at a time coming together and say, saying, I'm not going to value that system in the way that I used to value it. I'm going to value this system instead. And I think over time, the collective whole can shift to the new value system. The only reason why we have the beliefs and the goals and the this and the stuff that we do is because somewhere along the line, that was the conditioning and the construct that was created around that value system. And I think until we shift our own internal value system and then connect with people and offer them encouragement for shifting their own value system, that's when real shift and change can happen. So just self-acceptance, I think, is a huge part of it. I'm not even really in the game of body positivity because sometimes I don't feel good about my body. But I always have an opportunity to accept what I have and have gratitude for that. So... You know, I know we're kind of coming up on time, Katie, but I'd love to know. I got something I want to touch okay. on, too. Okay. Because I heard you say it a couple times. So you, you want to go first or you want to Well, I'm a, I have a wrap-up. You have so a wrap-up? You, okay. you guys me, can so, finish okay. out. Yeah. So I heard you say something earlier. You said, um, you know, the personalization is so important in the healthcare industry. And, you know, one of the North Stars that we use over at WeShape is how do we continuously create a more contextual workout system for each individual user? How do we personalize this so that's really, really, really for that person, for their goals, based on their capabilities, you know, helping with their movement restrictions, et cetera. But I see the healthcare industry as like a whole really needs this, really needs to have people go, 
the N does not equal one across the board. I got to go out there and I got to try things and figure out what works for me. So um, I would just love to hear your thoughts on on kind of where you think the industry's going, um, how people can help support that direction of the industry, and and yeah, anything that you think about that. Yeah, I think you touched on something so important and I love what you guys are doing because I feel like you're using the best of technology and research and everything we have to help people with that personalization process, which can feel really overwhelming if you're not if you're new to it. And so I love things like this that use data and use technology to help shorten that curve. And I, you're right, I see this so much in the health space, especially. And, and that was a, a large part of what I realized over the last five years. Um, like early on in health, I think I found the things that were working for me and a little bit like we talked about earlier was like, I have to tell everyone, this is amazing. Everyone needs to do this. And what I've learned now, having been in it a lot longer is at the end of the day, we've all figured out hopefully what works for us. And every health expert has hopefully figured out what works for them, which is great. And to your point about curiosity, Katie, we can learn something, I'm a big believer, we learn something from every person, every interaction, every experience, and that curiosity is really important. But at the end of the day, we are each our own primary healthcare provider. And so I think into the degree that we have more and more people shifting into that mindset, and of course, working with doctors, practitioners, fitness professionals, people who can help us, but keeping that mindset that I am my own primary healthcare provider. No one will care more about my health than I can. Nobody controls the inputs of my health besides me. Um, I think when we can take ownership for that and start to do the experimentation, and like, I love your idea, try things and see if they work. And if they do, do them. And if they don't, discard them. Um, I think that's when we start to see those shifts. And it's really cool that we're in a unique place now where we have access to so much consumer data we didn't have. We can get labs we didn't used to be able to get. We have wearables that give us insight into our health day in and day out. And we have the ability to do all kinds of different new movements and diets and everything from home um, without even fancy equipment. Like I know we, we have more access than we've ever had. And I think the part that's catching up hopefully is the mindset side um, and people stepping into that being their own primary healthcare provider. I think that's so huge. That's such a mic drop because I don't know about you, but most of the people I know with their parents' generation is like, the doctor is God and whatever they say is the truth. And my doctor said this and that means I have to do that. And that's just such a, you're giving away so much of your personal power to someone who spent like five minutes with you, probably had very little education in some of the things that you might need support and help, help with. Because like you said, it's not just like, it's not just nutrition. It's not just what supplements you're taking. It's how, how you think about yourself. It's the words you use in your mind. It's your emotional, your emotional spectrum and your ability to feel those. It's healing trauma. It's moving your body and getting connected to your body. It's finding things that bring you joy and happiness. And like all those things really matter. Yeah, and I think your own internal truth. I actually read an article the other day about how, um, how, minimize, how many physicians minimize women's complaints when they come in. That's it's actually pretty disturbing. Um, and so it, it's a, to your point, Katie, it's just, it's just that dynamic of being, giving yourself permission to trust your inner voice over anyone else's. Mm. And, and I think that that, um, I've had my own experience with this a number of times where I just, my intuition was like, no, 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 no. And then like the expert or this person was like, even when I got pregnant with Macy, I was like, oh, I'm pregnant. And my doctor was like, okay, I'll run a blood panel on you. And he was like, oh, you're not. And I was like, ooh, I am. And then he was like, <laughs> okay. And then like three days later, I had a positive pregnant test. And then he, luckily I have a phenomenal family physician. You know what he said to me? He said, I will never question your intuition again, Katie. Thank you. Thank you for calling and letting but me that's know. What we're, don't you think we're taught yeah. to do this? We're taught to ignore that intuition. We're taught to like say, like you said, I think you said it earlier on, like, I'm going to will my way through this, right? And it's like so many people get now, I'm going to will my way through this. They don't realize they're not listening. 
They're not listening to, hey, I need more rest. Hey, I'm, I'm showing up out of this way because I feel, I feel like there's a, there's a wound in my soul and I'm, I don't love myself all the way, right? And when we start examining those deeper things is when we can see meaningful changes that are, are easier. I think they flow a lot more. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, again, I think, you know, it's just, it's just giving yourself permission to say the voice that's inside, it's okay to listen to that. And it's okay if you don't hear it right away, because it takes a long time. I actually think it's a lifetime journey that we all embark on as human beings to listen to that inner voice. And I think there are different populations of people who have had that voice really taken away more than others, right? And I think that um, it's okay that it doesn't happen overnight. I think that's another thing, right, is, you know, this, this podcast is coming out right at the beginning of the year. You're not going to change overnight. It's, it's, it's okay that these, that these meaningful things take a little bit of time and that it's a slow progression. But I think connecting with yourself and being open to listening to that voice regardless of what society says and then being curious might be a really phenomenal way to set an intention as we go into the new year. Regardless of where someone is on their journey, right? You could be really in the thick of your journey and being reminded to come back to that inner voice and giving yourself permission to be curious will always serve you. I think certainty is a sign that you're not in a growth mindset, right? The moment we're certain, right? I just think about my own journey where I go like, I I peel back a layer of the onion and I go like, wow, I can't believe I was that person before. And then I peel back another layer and I go, wow, I can't believe I was that person before. And you do that a couple times and you start to go, well, then who I am right now is somebody that, you know, a handful of years from now, I'm going to be like, I can't believe I was that person. So you might as well just enjoy the ride a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think I go ahead, Katie. I fully agree. I love that. It's actually something as I started noticing that pattern, I started doing it intentionally. So that's another one of my new year activities that I do this first week of the year is I make a list of everything I think I know with certainty is true. And then throughout the course of the year, I will challenge myself on each of those by reading things with alternative viewpoints on purpose with the idea that if I'm right about that, I'm only learning and getting hopefully empathy for people who understand it in a different way. And so I'm just getting perspective. But if I'm not right about those things, it's a really good thing to know. And so I've like sort of dismantled a lot of things that I used to be very certain about. I love that. I love your willingness to examine something that you maybe believe isn't true and just give it a shot. Right. Again, like I think that goes back to people just get so locked into whatever they're doing right now. They don't give themselves permission to try something different. And that's such a, a key to continuous growth is just trying stuff. And a clue if you if you are like, oh, I'm not certain of anything. If you get triggered by something that's coming from a place of certainty. <laughs> so that's your first clue. I was reading a book recently and they had a recommendation for this book called Food is Not Medicine. And I was like, damn it, I'm going to have to buy that now because I do think food is a really healing thing. And so now I have to challenge my own belief system. I haven't read it yet, but it's on. It's there. It's on, so. the, it's on the pile. Well, before we go, I want to say thank you so much, Katie, for joining us today. It's so nice to connect with you. It's been a long time. I don't think we've seen each other since the pan- before the pandemic. And also, I have to say that I, we didn't mention that Katie has a whole line. Her company's called Wellness, and we use her products every day in our house, and they're absolutely phenomenal. So give us I, – I don't – the web is the web, website just wellness.com? Yeah, wellness, wellness – it's so wellness with an E on the end, dot com. And um, I would literally your dry shampoo is my favorite. I just used it yesterday. Oh. <laughs> I love it. So um, thank you again, Katie. And we're wishing you a, a wonderful 2023. And hopefully we can connect again soon. 
Yeah, it's so wonderful to see your face, and hopefully I'll see you in person this year. Yes, awesome. that would be wonderful. Take good care. We'll Thanks, see you Katie. soon. Bye. Bye. Cool. It was so good to see you. Thanks for chatting it up. Good to see you guys, too. I, I, Zoom made this a lot easier, and I realized if we were trying to fly out right now, I would probably be snuck in a snowstorm. Every flight's gotten canceled. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, once we got the Zoom going, I was like, oh, this is going to open up a lot more doors. Asking Katie to travel and arrange for all, that's just too much. So I'm like, yay, I'm so excited we can do Zoom. Um, how much time do your kids have off school? Oh, are they home? Are they still all? Are you still homeschooling? Mm -hmm. Oh, you are? Yes. We'll be off until about the fourth, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you guys have any plans for the next couple of weeks? Not really. Just time at home, which I'm very much looking forward to. I The week between Christmas and New Year is the week of the year that I let myself, and like I'm intentionally very lazy because I pretty much never watch TV. And so that, like for me, if I start a series, it's an open loop and I'm just ADHD enough that I have to then finish it. Yeah. So I see them all for between Christmas and New Year's. And my goal is to, other than maybe the gym, I don't get out of pajamas. I watch Netflix and I hang out with the kids and that's it. That's awesome. I love that. She's heading out of town to go to, to Sedona for the week. My friend, yeah, my so. friend every other year, she doesn't, her ex has her kids for the week. And so every other year we try to like go away for five days. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's show. Now, before you go, it would mean a lot to us if you could take a moment right now to subscribe to the podcast and then leave us a review. This helps spread the word so more people can feel lighter by shedding one belief at a time. Also, we want to hear from you. So if this episode impacted you or you have any questions that you think would be great for us or any of our future guests, please feel free to email us at podcast at weshape.com. And finally, if you want to try WeShape's different approach to health and fitness, remember that right now you can sign up for WeShape's Feel Good Challenge and get access to everything WeShape has to offer for free. Just click the link in our podcast description or go to weshape.com slash challenge to sign up.